Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sports Up 590, The Fan. Happy Friday, Justin and Ailish and Frank Saravelli, NHL insider and president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. How's it going, Frank? I am pretty good, guys. How are you guys holding up? Oh, you know, summer, waiting for news. Vladimir Tarasenko just makes headlines with the biggest mm-hmm. move of the summer. Real exciting <laughs> We're stuff. We're really excited. Make you feel alive again. You know, like, does it just give you, like, your heart skips a beat when you get to talk about something like this, Frank? Yes, it really does. <laughs> well, what's the... So let's start with Vladdy. Vladdy, we got a Vladdy up here in Toronto. We got a Vladimir Tarasenko deal. Uh, one year, $5 million with the Ottawa Senators after a weird summer um, with his mm-hmm. agent and all that whatever fiasco. So is this the best landing point for him? I think it could be. I think to your point, he deserves or his previous agent deserves a bit of an apology. (laughs) If you heard or saw some of the reports that might've been out there about previous deals, obviously takes way less if those were accurate on a one year deal with the Sens. But I actually really like this from Ottawa's perspective Tarasenko has a lot to prove. Obviously, he thinks that he's in a different class or echelon of players than what the market was bearing. And when you think about how tough this summer was from the Sens' perspective of losing to Brinkett, we talked about this hypothetical of, well, what happens if they could replace a chunk of the goals that you think DeBrinket might score? You can get 25 from Tarasenko, I think, is a pretty reasonable expectation um and then you know you add in the piece that they brought back already from the blackhawks you know not super sexy but 15 goals 15 plus 25 equals 40 like maybe a way to to get back to the spot that they were in prior to debrinket leaving and i'm going to make a bold declaration right now okay um it's it's late july and we have a pretty good idea of what the chessboard looks like at this point, I'm going to say Ottawa Senators make the playoffs. All right. I like it. I didn't think we were I getting like a bold it, declaration. We were not so bold, but we weren't <laughs> con- you know, convinced that they were going to be able to uh, make the jump that's required, obviously, to break through in the Atlantic Division. So you, I was going to ask you about the, you know, grading the offseason uh, for the Senators, uh, the trade uh, with Chicago bringing in Jonas Corpusello, you're pretty bullish on them if they're making the playoffs, or is maybe this a commentary on what's going on in Boston and Tampa and maybe Toronto? Just a little bit. No, more so about, I think, look, for the Sens, it's you don't get off to a 7-12 and 12 start or whatever it was that they did last year, and you're probably in much better shape. Like Their season was over by the second week of November last year. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. I think I, I, you know, probably Sens fans were probably clamoring for some kind of coaching change because DJ Smith has had a pretty decent run there in terms of length of time and to have continual starts like that year after year, plus a health factor. You know, you get Josh Norris for the full season. You have everyone healthy. You get a healthy Jacob Chikrin, you know, from the beginning. All of a sudden, I think, you know, then you fix. Goaltending wasn't a huge issue, but... I think you certainly feel a lot more comfortable with Corpus Allo there that I really like where the Sens are heading. And, and so that does become the next big question because I have the Buffalo Sabres making the playoffs next year as well. Ooh. Who does come out of the playoff picture? Mm. And 
I think Boston is, is going to take a pretty significant step back. The crazy part about what the, the Bruins did last year is they could lose like 35 points and still be at 100. So it's probably not going to be Boston, probably not going to be Tampa or Toronto. I still think Tampa with the, the pillars that they have, you know, Vasilevsky and Nett, Sergachev and Hedman on the blue line and Point, Kucherov, and Stamkos up front. Like, that team, even if their depth has eroded, they're not going anywhere. So I think you start to look at some of the other teams that are in the mix. Does Is Florida able to withstand some of their injuries to start the year? Can they pick up with the magic that they had last season? Will they get the goaltending? Um, and then maybe some of the teams from the Metro. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of playoff viable teams there mm-hmm. and only eight seats, uh, of course, like there is um, every year. So it should be interesting. I, I, I think it puts a couple coaches, the situation you just laid out under the microscope a little bit. I mean, Jim Montgomery wins coach of the year, but isn't his coaching uh, capabilities going to be underscored or going to be highlighted or going to be most important this year when you're losing a guy like Patrice Bergeron, when your center depth is apparent or is now suddenly Zaka Coyle geeky. I mean, I think it's a big spot here for Jim Montgomery, but I think the hottest seat as you mentioned, or you didn't mention in terms of hot seats, but you alluded to DJ Smith. I mean, if they get off to another bad start, like there's no way DJ Smith can survive that. Do you consider DJ Smith's, seat maybe the warmest entering the 2023-24 season? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's certainly toward the top of the list. Like, there was so much open speculation about his job security heading into the summer and what would all of this mean with the pending sale. And and frankly, I think he's not alone in the organization. Like, I think people are still curious what happens when Michael Anlauer's team takes over in likely September is there going to be managerial changes? Are there going to be other changes that take place? I, I doubt, you know, at this point, they're kind of locked in unless there's something been going on behind the scenes and someone's ready to roll in there and is, you know, prepared to take over from day one. That that just adds to the, the rising temperature of those seats. I guess the natural transition is uh, Ottawa Senators to Maple Leafs as they're still paying for a little bit of Matt Murray, who's uh, now on LTIR for the rest of the season. Um, after, I think there's, there's a lot to unpack here, but uh, let's start with how did they get to this point? Because Matt Murray and Sheldon Keefe had both been outspoken about his health at the end of the season saying that he was healthy and he was ready to be called upon if possible and he was cleared and now mid-July uh, or end of July that seems to not be the right uh, or the, the truth I guess if you're on LTIR so um, what do you know about the process to getting him to go to LTIR? Well it's a move that needs to be cleared by doctors and then also really approved by the NHL in terms of the move to get there. And I'll remind everyone that it's not really unprecedented at all to have someone finish the season, quote unquote, healthy. And the, you know, the definition of being able to back up or be on the bench uh, is a lot different uh, in the playoffs than it is in terms of a clean bill of health overall. So there's different definitions. Uh, Shea Weber played game five of the Stanley cup final, never to be heard from again Mm -hmm. for the Montreal Canadians. Um, And and so kind of when you consider the long list of what I would call LTIR shenanigans that have taken place around the league, 
Matt Murray, like, he passes the smell test for me. This guy has been continually injured for a long time. Um, can't seem to get right. And the joke kind of was heading into the summer was even if he's not healthy now, give him two weeks in training camp and you'll find a legitimate place on LTIR for him. So this is the easiest, cleanest solution for the Leafs. My belief is they had this in their back pocket the entire time that they knew going into the summer that they could pull off the moves that they wanted to make. Um, you know, adding guys like Bertuzzi and Klingberg and, and Domi and go down the list that they had the cap flexibility to be able to pull all of that off, knowing that eventually Matt Murray would be going to LTIR. So I think what they had done in the last number of weeks was make sure that they got the assurances and clearances that they needed from doctors and also from the league that they wouldn't be in a spot where this is something that would be contested. And now they can move forward in a clean, you know, sort of wipe your hands fashion of it. And he's banished to Robita Island, now population three. <laughs> Do you think that's the end of the story, though? Like, he's a young guy still. I mean, he's won Stanley Cup. Like, he is this the end of his career? Is this the end of the season? Is there a way that maybe he wants to cash in again or try to at least play another NHL game? Like, do you just think that this is the way that this season goes and we'll address it next year? No, my guess is that this is the end of the road for Matt Murray. Um, look, he's going to be one of those guys that goes down as a really tantalizing talent whose body couldn't quite cooperate. And you look at his track record since winning those Stanley Cups, which, by the way, not to degrade or, or knock down anything that he accomplished, but Marc-Andre Fleury was responsible for half of both of those Stanley Cups, by the way. Um, that when you look at his career, clearly someone exceptionally talented that couldn't find the consistency and really the dependability required to play the position. You know, um, dependability and reliability are two of the biggest abilities when it comes to playing goal in the NHL. And he just, he wasn't able to find it. DJ Smith kind of gave you the precursor before, since we were talking about him before Murray even kind of set foot on the ice. He was asked about his tenure in Ottawa and it was like, well, I never really saw him. He, he was always injured. And so that hurts. Um, Lucky for him, he was sort of well taken care of on this last contract. And by the way, as he goes to LTIR, the Leafs are eating the largest year in terms of payment. Uh, I believe the contract ends with an $8 million final season. And on top of all of that, injuries aside, when he was playing, it's not like the last few years he was lighting the world on fire with his play. There were some significant, I think, technical questions. And the tough part to answer is how much of the technical issues that Murray experienced were due to the fact that he might have always been compensating for whatever else was going on with his body. So Brad for living, I don't know, eight, nine weeks on the job now, pretty firmly in place, a lot of his business done. Uh, but do you consider there to be any outstanding business that he needs to accomplish before training camp, before the start of the season? I know he's got to get cap compliant, but may just be able to lean on an injury or something before that. But uh, this defense looks maybe a little bit incomplete. Still looks like they can make upgrades pretty much anywhere. Do you think Tre Living still has 
another move, and that's not to mention, of course, William Nylander and Austin Matthews. Yeah, I think there's still plenty on Bradtree Living's plate. Like, I don't think he's sitting on the lake at Penticton with his feet up and uh, and is relaxing. Um, I think this is a spot where he continues to, to work on the Nylander and Matthew stuff. And look, he's one of those guys that as some of these other contracts have lingered out there all summer, whether it's whatever's happening with the flames or whatever is happening with, I think to a lesser extent, Eric Carlson, although teams are still monitoring that. I don't think there's much, um, you know, I don't think there's a great hope that he's someone that ends up being on the move and specifically to Toronto, but he's one of those guys that's always working the phones, trying to find different ways to improve his team. He understands what the market prices are. If there's a big player, big name player out there um, and doesn't even have to be a big name. If there's someone that he thinks can help, can help this team, there's almost a a less than 0% chance that he's hasn't called, hasn't checked in, hasn't figured out what that looks like. So He's someone that always has a really good grasp on the market and understands what's out there and, and able to uh, come in and help. Do you sense or have you know gained any clarity on the TJ Brody situation, if you want to call it a situation, uh, expendable, not expendable, maybe given assurances? Do you think, you know, are you confident that he's going to be part of this team next year or do you think that's still a card that Brad Trilliving could play? No, I'm pretty confident that he'll be back next season. Um, they like what he brings from a defense perspective. Um, the only reason that was ever brought up was just to highlight, Hey, look at this guy's buyout. It's a unique situation where they could get out of it this year. If they were in a jam with a buyout that costs $0 on the cap next season and represents a pure $5 million savings. The difficulty in that is, as exciting as that idea may be to have $5 million to play with, you then have to go out and replace TJ Brody. And how much is that next player going to cost to do it? So I think the cost benefit analysis wasn't something that the Leafs liked and, and considered. So I don't think he was ever really considered aside from the idea of, Oh, that's an intriguing number. You know, they, I think they're really happy with the situation that they're in with Brody, even as, you know, he's one year older and the speed or step might be in decline. Um, I think they're pretty confident that they're able to get the value out of TJ Brody relative to cap it. Chatting with Frank Cervelli of dailyfaceoff.com. Okay, so Sebastian Ajo signs a massive contract extension um, on his birthday. And naturally, the next question is, how does this affect the Maple Leafs? How does this affect William Nylander? Uh, How would he be reacting to this or not reacting to it if it doesn't seem to matter as uh, sometimes they just compare themselves to those on their own team? So how does this react uh, or affect the Maple Leafs? Yeah, I don't think it does. Um, Different position. Ajo is one of the premier two-way centers in the game. Um, And if anything, I think people kind of look at what the Carolina Hurricanes do a little bit differently. And I don't want to say in a vacuum, but I think some people or or agents, teams recognize that Carolina marches to the beat of their own drum. Like the fascinating part about the Sebastian Ajo extension that was signed 9.75 times eight years 
is that's the same offer that was on the table in early July. And we are approaching August. So the Canes didn't budge much. I think it's a contract that fits exceptionally well. It's not even really a huge raise off of what he's making next season. And to have a player of that caliber locked up for probably the entirety of his career or close to it at a number that in three years' time is going to look laughable, um, I think it's a great fit. And if anything, even though all those caveats that I just threw into the mix, it probably hurts the Nylander position a little bit in terms of what they're asking for, even recognizing Nylander play driving winger, that these are two different players in different positions, just that Ajo's on the board at sub 10 million bucks. And, you know, I'm sure the first thing that they'll point out is, yeah, but he doesn't produce points like Nylander. So there's lots of different ways to look at it. I'd say on the whole, um, it has a very minimal impact. Yeah, pretty wild looking at the Hurricanes cap sheet and seeing a guy like Aho who has no reason to not strike it big, only earn a $1.3 million raise on a long-term deal. Uh, it's, it's yeah, you're right. Marching to the beat of their own drum, uh, that is indeed the case. And I guess a lot of people... Have Wait, hold on a second. Yeah, Before you continue, Aho, it's this is the largest deal in Kane's history at $78 bucks, yeah. And... He's going to earn $123 million. So, like, how cheap are they really? I guess when you get to the end of it, like, is is $123 million in career earnings not enough? Like, the difference between that and 138, um, it's not going to change your life, but your team may have a chance to win multiple Stanley Cups in the meantime. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, that's one of the things I saw. 123 career earnings guaranteed for a guy who plays for one of the most budget-conscious conscious franchises there is at least ones that actually compete it's just like you're thinking about it and you're like well it shouldn't be this hard but again it always seems to be this hard which is interesting and another player that has marched by i guess a similar drum would be patrice bergeron who probably has i don't know if he has a hundred dollar a hundred million in career earnings but he's probably, probably pretty close there you go 96 so he definitely gave up a little bit in order for his teams to be great what he got out of that well a lot of success, one Stanley Cup. Maybe there could have been or should have been more, but one Stanley Cup and plenty of hardware across or along the way. Uh, of course, the news comes out this week that he retires. When you thought about, you know, when you reflected, when you thought about Patrice Bergeron after Patrice Bergeron retired, what do you consider his greatest accomplishment? The best defensive forward of all time. That's, you know, the first five words in his Hall of Fame plaque bio, or at least they should be. Um, He is all class. I think he's probably the closest comparable, at least certainly in the modern NHL, to be someone that carried the torch for Jean Beliveau in terms of grace on and off the ice. Um, Consummate leader. But the the super impressive part about Bergeron's career and especially the way that it ended is that he was almost at the absolute height of his powers. These last two seasons, like this year, this past year was obviously exceptional for the team 
and setting that record. And in some ways, I'm kind of surprised to see him go out, even though I know it took a toll on his body. And it seemed like at the end, he was someone that um, really, you know, he seemed to wear the wear and tear and the mileage on his body differently than he had five years ago. Uh, But that these last two seasons, like you could make the argument two years ago was the best year of his career. How many players have the opportunity to do that at age 36? Pavelski comes to mind. I mean, there's, there's, it's a short list of guys that age exceptionally well. And Bergeron was there. And to have the season they had to go out like they did in the playoffs, that's what surprises me is that he just he couldn't do it. And what I really enjoyed about watching Patrice Bergeron is that he was always kind of one of those players that was true to himself, even though it would have been easy to come back this next season and chase it again with the Bruins that he just didn't have it. uh, Wasn't ready to, to go through that again and goes out on his own terms. So um, even the way that he went out with the essay that he wrote and the message to Mm -hmm. kids and young players Um, I I honestly, there's so few players in this league that really are so universally respected. And on top of that, you know, you hear different things about players and people and and what they're like. I don't think I've ever heard anyone even imagine or wonder a bad thing about Patrice Bergeron. So maybe um, the perfect player. Yeah, I, I I don't think that's hyperbole at all. Uh, it's been really, uh, I guess, uh, impressive to see all the other NHL teams coming forward with with messages of support. Like you don't see this anytime, anywhere. Other players, competitors that wanted to to say uh, congratulations on a, an incredible career to Patrice Bergeron. Uh, last one for you, Frank, because I know we've kept you a little bit long this morning. We appreciate your time. Um, so not yet 36 years old, but has definitely found uh, his step. Uh, Eric Carlson, and I know you mentioned uh, on Wednesday that the San Jose Sharks are struggling to find a trade partner for Eric Carlson. Um, just is the asking price seems to be too far apart, and teams are going to say, "Well, call me later if you're willing to come back down to earth." Is that the situation right now? Yeah, I think that's a really easy and simple way to explain it. Um, the Sharks are still asking a lot, and these other teams that have been in the mix, and it's not hard to find a trade partner. There's a lot of teams that are interested in adding a 100-point defenseman, um, particularly with the Sharks being able to retain 20% or so, that the Sharks are still just asking a lot. And these teams are looking at the risk of, hey, these next number of years of Carlson at nine, let's call it nine and a half million bucks, significant injury history, what happens when we put him on a team with a different risk profile that isn't 28th in the league and is willing to just hand the keys over to him and say, Hey, do whatever it you need to do. Defensive zone, be damned. Um, there are a lot of teams that don't play like that. And that's another reason why I kind of viewed last season for him through a, a, a different prism, which is he was able to do and pull off things that no one else could partially because no one asked anything else of him. Um, and that's not a knock on his talent at all. It's just that take him and put him on a team with a different structure. And point being, you may not get the same results. So what happens if he is a 60 point defenseman, you know, a few years ago, that was nothing to sneeze at, but now 
guys are kind of routinely in the mid seventies and, and branching into the eighties. So um, there's a risk profile there that I think the sharks understand, but haven't to me, haven't really grasped the idea of the salary cap flexibility that they would gain from this. That has to be properly valued. And I've been saying for a long time, I, I don't think that they've, done that yet they haven't properly valued it well so lots of time for them to to come back down to earth and see if they can get a trade partner for eric carlson i would say not really because you're looking at a couple teams maybe pittsburgh and kyle dubas that have one final arb case that would open up a second buyout window to create maybe a little more cap flexibility and my thing is as much as teams are sitting around saying yeah call us in august when you get serious Mm -hmm. The other part of it is the Sharks would have to then take some tough contracts back if teams can't use buyouts that it becomes a lot more difficult of a deal to pull off. Well, we'll get you on hopefully soon with some resolution with that. Uh, Maybe we get more information on William Nylander, uh, but we appreciate all the insight this morning and taking your time. Uh, Thanks, Frank. We'll chat with you soon. Of course, guys. Have a good one. Have a good weekend. You as well. That's Frank Saravelli, Angel Insider, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. I just want to see him find a solution because he clearly doesn't want to play for the Sharks anymore. <laughs> I guess we could have, well, have to ask Frank next time. Uh, I wonder if signing a contract precludes you from being traded immediately. I don't think that's the case. But Klingberg no, no, no. as a placeholder for yeah, Carlson said that. I let is, is something that... Piques my interest. We'll have to get him back. It'd have to be, you know, Carl uh, Klingberg plus. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It seems like it's a little far-fetched, but at least it seems like San Jose is willing to play a little bit of ball financially. Well, maybe they don't have as much time as they thought they did. Maybe not. Okay, it's time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. So we know no, we know Novak Djokovic uh, will not be attending the National Bank Open here in the next couple weeks um, as he needs some time to recuperate from, He's a, fatigued. from a lengthy season thus far. Um, but I came across an article, um, which was translated nicely for me. <laughs> uh, Novak Djokovic's father saying that he hoped that his son would have retired from tennis already. Quote, I think it's time for that time he should have stopped working this extremely difficult job. So this came from a documentary and then a written story uh, saying that, you know, it might be time for his son, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, to have hung it up and maybe he kind of missed that time. Quote, as far as my wishes go for him, he has already fulfilled them seven or eight years ago. The rest is an amazing bonus. Tennis is only one segment of life, not his whole life. I expect him to be recognized for the things he will do after his career ends as well after he leaves the tennis world, which I hope will happen next year. Wow. So if your dad's like, you know what, Justin, you've had a great career, hang him up. It's like, okay, I guess that's it for me. He did Uh, just get beat by a 20-year-old, so maybe his dad's like, you're not on top anymore, just go out while you can. Yeah, I wonder how much that is a part of this, right? Because uh, we might be looking, and maybe not yet, but we might be looking at the time in Novak Djokovic's career where the people, him and the people around him, have to deal with actually losing tennis matches, matches, excuse me, uh, which not everyone can handle. <laughs> and when you are the greatest of all time, maybe, at least by some measures, uh, maybe you don't want to go through that. Maybe Patrice Bergeron didn't want to go through being a declining asset, left mm. on top. Maybe Novak Djokovic, although I guess you got to win the U.S. Open to, 
to leave on top uh, because he lost his last major championship final, of course, to Carlos Alcaraz. But maybe they're not going to want to go through the losing phase of all this. But I think Djokovic still has a lot left, so we'll see. Once he's rested up a little bit, he'll get an opportunity to keep winning majors. We'll see. Um, what is this that you've written here in the doc? I just wait. Wait. I'm just waiting. Okay. There's we got to get to break here. We got messages. Madison Shipman after the break. It's just something we can talk about a little later. Okay. Taking you behind the curtain here. All right. Taking the listeners behind the curtain. Madison Shipman, Blue Jays central analyst, per- former professional softball player. I looked at her stats yesterday. She's baller. She'd whoop both of us in any sport. She's going to join us after the break. Uh, Blue Jays hosting the Angels three-game series. That's tonight. It is on Apple TV, but you can hear it here live on Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Madison Chipman joins us next on the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Uh, as we mentioned earlier on, I'm just going to float this to you now because we got Madison Shipman on the line. Going to a cottage this week. Ooh. Family, so not knock him down, uh. drag him out, you know, the boys doing boys things. <laughs> but should I bring the running shoes? Always, always, always a conundrum. Yes, because I think you could even just squeeze in a nice walk. Like a good nature walk. Like you don't need to set your sights on it. I should be able to 10K. squeeze. I should be able like to squeeze. Like just go in for a, a nice morning walk with a brew. It's always so disheartening at the end of a trip, though, and you. Oh, I, I didn't even touch these. Yeah, if you bring them, you have to just go for a walk, Justin. It's not that hard. Get out in nature. It shouldn't be that hard. Enjoy it. Uh, you get a lot off the grid for a bit. I think you. I think you can afford one walk. All right, Madison Shipman, former professional softball player, current Blue Jays central analyst with us at Sportsnet, joining us this morning. Madison, great to have you on the show. I've been very, very uh, anxious to chat with you and say that you've been doing a really, really great job with us. So congrats, and we're uh, glad to have you on the team here. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, that really means a lot. And thank you guys for having me on this morning. I feel like I need to weigh in on the running shoes yes, dilemma please. because please I feel do. like I go with I go back and forth. <laughs> I go back and forth with that all the time and I end up bringing them. But then it's like they stare at me every mm-hmm. single day if I don't actually use them. Uh, and then they, I go through did. the entire weekend and don't <laughs> use them. So maybe maybe that's more on me rather than the running shoes. But I like to blame it on the running shoes. <laughs> they just guilt you the whole time. They're just two just two shoes, <laughs> pair of shoes, <laughs> just sitting in the car there, then. making you feel bad when you're supposed to be having fun on your your vacation. <laughs> well, exactly. I've been playing a little pickleball, like a little tennis, a little. What if you just did a little spike ball on the beach? It's kind of like the best of both worlds. But like the best activity at a cottage is shoeless. No? Yeah, so maybe we've come to a Even conclusion. Even if it's, yeah. You don't wear them. You don't bring them. That's all good. Um, all right, Madison. So a big weekend here, uh, Blue Jays. Obviously, I will get to Shohei Otani's incredible feat yesterday because that was something. Incredible feat. There good you job. go. See, I, I sneak it in there. Um, but I feel like a common theme, uh, maybe with Blue Jays Twitter, Blue Jays fans, and people that listen to our show and text in is that it feels like this season has been more frustrating and not as good as it really has been. The Blue Jays are in a good spot. They've been pretty great these last 50 games, um, you know, winning series and coming home here uh, for uh, the second part of the season. Um, Why do you think sometimes it feels like they're falling short of expectations and are they? 
Yeah, I, I think it feels that way just because of, uh, one, how many close games there are, and a lot of the losses come down to late in the ball game, or maybe it's just one run here and there. But this team has been frustrating in the sense that very rarely do you see the offense, the, the pitching, and the defense all clicking at the same time. And we all know that because there's so many talented players on this team that they can get it going at the same time, it's going to be a scary team. And I really do think that their last win against the Dodgers was a prime example of what can happen when you get all facets of the game working, when you get the starting pitching, when you get the the relief pitching coming out of the bullpen being strong, when you get the clutch hitting, uh, when you get the solid defense behind them. You put up an 8-1 to one victory over the Dodgers, who are a very, very good baseball team. That's the type of game that we honestly expect to see from them day in and day out. Now, realistically, is that going to happen in the game of baseball? No, you're going to have some ups and downs. But the frustration, I believe, comes from a place of those high expectations for the team, knowing what their capabilities are and knowing that maybe there were some games that were more in their control rather than the other team beating them. It was them beating themselves. That That's where a lot of that frustration comes from. Yeah, it certainly feels justified um, because they have the puzzle pieces. They have incredible um, depth and, and they're starting pitching, which I think surprised a lot of people. You say Kikuchi has just come back into full form. Jose Barrios and obviously with Alec Manoa, I think sometimes we look, we look focus a bit more on maybe the negatives of the, but we have that as a strong suit. We have some players really performing offensively that have surprised many with Merrifield, Danny Jansen, and, you know, the bullpen can be up and down. But with all that being said, do you think that they still have their best baseball ahead of them? If they could put the puzzle pieces in, in a consistent effort, maybe go on a little run here, like the Blue Jays could be still waiting to play the best baseball of their season. Oh, I absolutely think so, because I still think there's a lot of room left in the tank, too. You you finally get Bo Bichette back on board. We knew he wasn't going to be hitless for very long, but he starts swinging the bat like he's used to. George Springer did not have his best road trip, uh, but I thought he made some strides, especially in that last game against the Dodgers. There were some swings. A couple of them actually were foul balls that I thought were a big step in the right direction for him, and he can really set the tone for the rest of the offense, too, because he's so explosive up there in that leadoff spot and one thing that we've talked about throughout the season is Vladdy Guerrero Jr. and maybe not having as many home runs as we anticipated at this point but he's still hitting the ball so incredibly hard and so you just get the feeling that him having good swings on pitches him uh, having good pitch selection up at the plate is ultimately going to lead to more and more of those clutch home runs but what I like too from this road trip is you had a lot of people especially in that bottom of the order step up so you're not just relying on Bo you're not just relying on Vladdy to get it done every single day and what that bottom half of the order producing somebody like oh uh, Kevin Kiermeyer even down in the ninth spot I thought had some great at bats this past week it takes a lot of pressure off of the top of the offense too and when you can go up there and really have a good game approach top to bottom in the lineup stretch out that lineup that's ultimately I think going to lead to a pretty good run here towards the end of the season. So Bobochet's answered a lot of questions, I think, this year, even just recently, uh, answered the question that he could rebound after one of his uh, more disappointing stretches of the season, at least at the plate. But one thing that's always been at the back of people's minds when, uh, you know, assessing value and looking at his entire package is his defensive play, his work at shortstop. And Madison, you played the shortstop position. Uh, when you evaluate how he is and how Bo uh, performs defensively. Uh, is there any problem there? Should there be uh, encouragement on how he's played the position? It seems like that chatter has died down a little bit, and I think that is a testament to how he's played in the field this year. 
Yeah, I definitely think there's some encouragement because I know even uh, after last year, that was a lot of the conversation surrounding him more defensively. But what I've seen from him is I see him be a bit more aggressive on those ground balls compared to last season. And when he runs into trouble is when he sits there and waits on the baseball to come to him. And the more hops you allow that baseball to take before it gets to you, the more opportunity for it to take a bit of a funky hop on you or maybe you lose your grip or you have to rush to get the throw across the diamond. But I thought he's done a nice job, especially with his footwork, getting himself in the right position to one field the ball, but also get the momentum going back to throw it across to first base. So I definitely think that that's an area that when the ball gets hit over shortstop, I'm not concerned about it at all. I'm not holding my breath. I think he's done a really good job of shoring up his defense over at that shortstop position. Chatting with Madison Shipman, uh, current Blue Jays central analyst with here with us here at Sportsnet. So we mentioned briefly George Springer struggles, uh, which seemed to be amplified on this road trip, and whether they were some boo birds or not that were affecting him, it just wasn't the right George Springer. Um, so coming back home, maybe getting refreshed, maybe having um, a, a different approach this weekend. What can he do differently? What changes can he make, or you expect him to make uh, to start this series on the right foot? One thing that makes George Springer so good is his aggressiveness. And coming into this weekend, it, maybe he's going at some pitches out of the zone on the road trip. I don't think you should take away any of that aggressiveness, but maybe fine-tune uh, some of the pitches, uh, borderline pitches that he's going for early in the count. There seemed to be something a bit off with his timing on his swings. And often I, I do talk a lot about the, the foul balls because you can tell a lot of where that baseball is hitting on the bat of whether or not the batter's on time. And there were some foul balls early in the Dodgers series and even throughout that Mariners series where he was getting a lot of balls either uh, on the hands of the barrel or even way off the end of the bat. And there were a couple of balls in that last game against the Dodgers where you could tell he was more on time. He was fouling, it all, uh, fouling the balls off more off the meat of the barrel. And there was one at bat in particular where he took a swing and then immediately had a reaction afterwards trying to tell himself, just get that barrel out in front just slightly more. So I felt like he was on the verge of really busting things open, but you still want to stick with that aggressiveness because that's what makes him so good. That's how he gets those leadoff home runs to start off the ball game is because he's an aggressive hitter. So you don't want to pull back the reins on that. But to me, it all comes down to, to timing. And when you can be on time, it's going to fix some of the mechanical issues. You're not having to make a decision earlier when the pitcher releases the ball. Thus, your pitch selection is going to be better. So for me, it all comes down to that timing for George just being a bit earlier, maybe on some of his swings to get on time with the fastball to, to really get back into the zone. Uh, Ailish and I have been arguing about where he should hit in the lineup pretty much all week. Uh, Ailish has been banging the drum for a demotion. I'm thinking, just keep him where he is. It's George Springer. He'll come around. Uh, and, and you know, uh, wherever you stand on that is fair. But, uh, you know, looking at your numbers in Tennessee, I don't think you're ever demoted. But if someone has their spot in the lineup, and George has maybe the firmest spot in the lineup, if you're looking at Blue Jays hitters, he's always been the leadoff hitter, and he's always been a leadoff hitter. How difficult is that to actually trigger moving George Springer down in the lineup. Is that something that's bigger than maybe it should be? Is it even worth approaching? Like how big of a deal would it be to George Springer if John Snyder said, Hey dude, you're hitting fourth tonight. 
Yeah, I, I do think that it does make a difference because there's a comfort level in the routine of knowing where you're going to hit every single day. And, you know, looking at the stats, uh, some uh, a name that popped up was maybe you move Whit Merrifield up into that leadoff spot because he's doing so well and he's hitting the ball so consistent for the Blue Jays, maybe set the tone at the beginning with somebody like a Whit Merrifield. But the player side of me likes the routine aspect of keeping George Springer exactly where he is because I do think he's going to climb out of it. Now, if this stretch lasts you know, a, a month or we're having several series where we're still talking about how he's not getting out on board, then maybe you start to make a change, especially with the time of the year that it's getting to. But for right now, even with some of those at-bats that he was taking against the Dodgers, I still think that I like having George Springer in that leadoff spot and not changing anything because baseball players, softball players, we love routine. We love to show up to the ballpark and know exactly where we're going to be in the lineup every single day. So that's the, the side of the game that I play back to a little bit. So he won't be facing Shohei Otani on the mound tonight um, after having to pitch uh, in the doubleheader yesterday. Incredible day of baseball for Shohei Otani. Um, A complete game and then two home runs in the second second game of the back-to-back. Just what you're seeing with Shohei. The excitement level to have him here at the Rogers Center, regardless of if he's pitching or not, will be high. Um, Hopefully his his little, um, I don't know, he was running to to first base there and he kind of grabbed his his ribs yesterday. So we don't know for sure what's going on. But let's just say he's, he's here and he's and he's at the bat um he's he's in the lineup this uh weekend just excitement level seeing something that we really haven't seen in baseball in uh maybe forever yeah it's incredible what he's able to do day in and day out and i believe that the angels kind of alluded that the the back maybe it was a bit more cramping rather than an injury which of course baseball fans (laughs) everywhere are are hoping that it is more of a cramp and not an injury just because it seems like every single day that he steps out onto the field something amazing happens and he goes out there, throws that complete game shut out. And actually his first hit of the series was the first home run that he hit in game two of that double header. And he hit an opposite field shot, a 94 mile an hour fastball that he drives out to left field. And that swing right there was one of the main reasons why I thoroughly enjoy watching his swing because he has so much power to every part of the field, and it seems like his barrel stays in the zone for so incredibly long. That baseball is right on the sweet spot of the barrel for a long time through that strike zone, and that's how he's able to get so much of that effortless power. And, of course, if that wasn't enough, he, he ends up driving one out to center field that was just a mere 116 miles per hour off of his bat for the second home run of the day. So it just seems like every single day he's bringing some sort of electricity to the field, which the the fans feed off of. It makes it so exciting to see uh, him play. And it just seems like he is trailblazing and knocking down all these, uh, these records that have stood for hundreds of years. And now uh, we are just waiting to see what else he's going to be able to do uh, when he steps out onto the field. So it's going to be, it's going to be a great weekend. Selfishly, I hope that he's able to get into the lineup so that we can watch him hit. I've been, I've been asked uh, whether I prefer watching him pitch or whether I prefer watching him hit. And I definitely lean towards the hitter's side. Mm. So hoping for, for, of course, for Shohei that it's not an injury, that it is just a cramp that he can get back in there and uh, start swinging the bat again. Yeah, we put him as one of our, maybe our top must-see athlete when they come into town. So we'll get an opportunity this weekend at the Rogers Center, head down there. Um, Last one for you here, Madison. So, uh, Shohei won't be traded, it sounds like, uh, as the Angels came out and said that early on. But uh, Blue Jays have about four days here uh, to make some decisions and to maybe add to their lineup. Um, in terms of what they might want um, or need, 
Where do you fall in the trade deadline ponderings in the next couple of days for the Blue Jays? Yeah, I definitely still am leaning more towards a hitter and a bat to to really boost up those offensive numbers. Again, it's all about trying to lengthen out that lineup. And if you can get somebody else in that lineup, maybe even somebody with a bit more pop in the bat, somebody that's got 15, 16, 17 home runs on the season, what I think it does is it makes it another batter that opponents have to circle on that lineup and possibly somebody else in the rest of the lineup, somebody like a Vladdy or like a Bo is going to get a better pitch to hit because they're worried about somebody else with a lot of power in the bat. So that's where I'm going to, to try to stretch out that lineup just a little bit more to get more of those home runs because ultimately good things happen when you're hitting the long ball. And I think that's the area that this team uh, maybe needs to get just slightly better at. They're hitting the ball hard, but now it's just getting the ball to, to leave the yard at a little bit more of a consistent clip. So I do think that adding possibly a big, powerful bat in the middle or even the bottom half of the order can, can help them moving forward through the rest of the season. The luxury item was Shohei Otani before Shohei, Shohei Otani was taken off the board, uh, of course. But if the Blue Jays were going to get like real aggressive luxury items, they're going after something big, 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 big. It seems like we just lost Madison Shipman. No. We're not going to get that luxury item. That's okay. But I felt like that went well, and she'll come back she and let us know. She will come back another time. Maybe not before the deadline, because, of course, the deadline is Tuesday. Mm-hmm. But that was good. First yeah. time we ever chatted with Madison. Well, thanks to Madison. Uh, you can hear her and Ben Shulman on the call this weekend for us here at Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And, of course, tonight's game's on Apple TV+. Plus. So you can catch it all live right here on our station, uh, Madison and Ben Shulman. Big weekend here. The Angels in town. Uh, Shohei. Uh, okay, so that's a bit of a positive News that it might have just been a little bit of cramping. Who's never had cramping while running? Like, it's just the worst feeling. Yeah, and it makes... It's going to be you this weekend I mean, at the I, cottage. Wait, I, don't do, I don't get it running. I, like, wake up in the middle of the night with a cramp. Really? I think... That's never happened to you? Maybe you need water. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, two games, of, you pitch nine innings, and then you're playing in a second baseball game. Do you think you had, game? like, a meal in between? I'm sure there was some sort of nutrient intake. But he literally pitched nine <laughs> innings and then got sure. out there and hit two home Pro- runs. Probably a protein bar or something mixed in. You'd but, hope you so. know, it, there's probably a good possibility that he was uh, down on the hydration scale and needed uh, just to, you know, some fluids. Hopefully we, that's just it. We did ponder what happens between games on a doubleheader. I think this was a couple of weeks ago when the Jays had to play a doubleheader. Um, and I think we had Buck Martinez on that same day. And we asked him, like, do the guys shower? What do they do? And it's like, you know, to each his own. Um, but whatever Shohei did between game one and game two, like, he's got it figured out. He knows <laughs> he knows how to keep himself ready to rumble, whether he's at the mound or at the plate. He knows how to break out of an 0-for-5 slump while pitching <laughs> nine shutout innings. Pretty crazy. So it will be Lucas Giolito, the newest Angel on the mound versus Kevin Gosman tonight. It looks like Alec Manoa Saturday and Jose Barrio Sunday. Sunday is an earlier game. Usually it's a 1 p.m. start. It is a noon start. So if you're coming down for Junior Jay Sunday or you're coming down to watch the game um, at the ballpark, it's just an hour earlier. So keep that in mind. You can get your full Sunday viewing experience afterwards. Go enjoy the sun. There you go. Um, Patio season. I mean, you're putting a clock on it. You think the hourglass is emptying? I never said that. I said Adios I love in Toronto will still August. be open. Perfect Sunday would be early Jays game. Couple pops after. There you go. Maybe there's some. I was gonna say some World Cup on, but we're about 
15-hour time difference. Don't, don't so there won't be. Sleeping in Australia. There won't be. All right, we got a final hour of the Fan Morning Show on your Friday. Ty Dunn will join us after the break. We'll go through. Um, he's been covering some Bills action there. The day two of training camp officially in the books yesterday. Some things to look around. Maybe we could just get the, the full scoop on Stefan Diggs and that drama. Um, but obviously there was some big news in the NFL yesterday, some injuries, and Sean Payton taking shots at other coaches. And then Heidi Watney will join us to wrap up the show. She's a sideline reporter for Apple TV tonight. It's Friday Night Baseball on Apple TV. They're in town for Jays and Angels, and she gets a really cool job to go around to different ballparks all year long and cover different series so we can chat around what the entire scope of the baseball world is like right now, the excitement uh, at the trade deadline just a few days away. Uh, that will wrap up our show, and we'll do a baby wake and rake, so you can send that in at 590-590. We'll do that at the end of the show. It's the Fan Morning Show, Justin and Ailish. Sports at 590 with Fan.